Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to WebRush. This is episode 198. Today, we're going to Angular 14 and beyond, or infinity and beyond, as my cohorts in crime here today, Craig Shoemaker and Ward Bell, their favorite movie, Buzz Lightyear, just came out. And I know Ward has a lot to say about Disney's Buzz Lightyear. It's his favorite, favorite character, isn't it, Ward? I don't even... uh, Oh, yes, John. I'm all in on the buzz. <laughs> all in. So you not only have an affection for Star Wars, but you also have an affection for Disney? <laughs> I love it all now. I've completely, I've drunk the Kool-Aid. I'm, I want to just fall over and just, I don't know. No, no, John, you know me better. <laughs> all right. Well, at least Craig and I can carry that torch for a little bit here with uh, Disney and Star Wars, because I know Craig's family our Disney fans, right? We do, but we haven't seen Buzz yet. Ah, the new Lightyear movie. Yeah, we haven't uh, we haven't made it out yet. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I saw, it and I, I have to say, it was okay. Like I enjoyed it. Mm. <laughs> wow, that's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> that's right. But I'm glad I didn't, you know, pay money to go to a theater to see it. So, um, <laughs> well, that's all I need to know now, especially coming from but, you. But it was good. I heard it got really trashed. I heard it got yeah, I don't know how it did in the theaters. I, I imagine not so great, but uh, it, it was worth seeing. But I would say, you know, wait to see it on Disney Plus or whatever people watch it on these days. You know, I want to see Nope. That's going to mean because I really respect that director. Nope. Peel. Jordan Peel is really, really sharp guy. But OK, let's get on with our talk. See, when you said Nope, I'm thinking of Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec. And, you know, because oh. I'm a big Parks and Rec fan. So I watch way too much streaming television and movies, if you all can't tell. I must say, tell. John, you know, no wonder you can't get anything that done. That is true. That is absolutely true. So speaking of can't getting anything done, we should probably get something done about introducing our guest and our topic for today. We've got a return guest on who is just awesome to, to work with. And he's also just a great personal uh, friend and colleague of, to all of us out there. And that is Minko Gachev. How you doing, Minko? Hey, Pretty good. Minko, you've got uh, quite a track record of making an impact in the web world. And uh, usually I read people's bios, but I think yours kind of speaks for itself a little. I wonder, could you just introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? Who is Minko Gachev? Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm working on the Angular team where I'm doing products and operations work pretty much. Thinking about what the community may need and discussing this with other smarter than me people and figuring out what we're going to be building uh, in the future. And before that, I had a startup where we were pretty much we were trying to improve education for developers specifically. And in my spare time, I've been doing a lot of open source for a while now, specifically focused on developer tooling. Yeah, you've had quite a bit of uh, impact in developer tooling on things. And I, I think one of the most recent things I saw somebody respond to me on was you wrote some preload um, extensions for Angular, didn't you? Yeah, I've been working on performance things. Uh, for example, GetJS was something that like, kind of got traction, I guess, before I joined Google. The Google team at Chrome, they talked about it at IO, um, just using machine learning data analytics to predict where the user is going to go so that we can prefetch stuff ahead of time. 
also worked on a tool, uh, QuickLink, which prefetches bundles associated with links that are visible within the viewport. Um, yeah, I, I have far too many projects that <laughs> it's hard to maintain right now. I think over 330 or oh so. Oh, my. See, that's all? <laughs> that's, that's it for now. <laughs> that's driving. That, that would, I thought it was bad for me, man. I don't know. Good for you, man. I feel good I now. Know. I feel good now. Actually, that's one of the, the biggest changes that I experienced in my life joining the team. Now I don't get to maintain that many things at Google, and it's harder to start new things because once you commit to them, you need to maintain them. Yeah, uh, Tell yeah. me about it. Is it. That's why I commit to nothing. It's like a responsibility or a weight or a burden. I know it's like, wow, I want to start this new open source project, but am I actually going to be able to keep up with it now? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, when things start getting adoption, that's when it gets tricky. <laughs> when I'm building it for fun, like I have like five programming languages. I hate when that happens. I hate when I make something really useful that a lot of people want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, let's go with something totally obscure and like, why would anybody use that? That's where I live. Yeah, same. That's why, like, for example, one of the tools I built was like a compiler that takes your templates and compiles them to virtual reality. Like, nobody wanted to use that. But it was fun to walk inside your code and, like, nobody depended on it. Or, like, uh, an emoji programming language. I've always wanted to look at an Angular app with VR. I've always thought that was, <laughs> that's the way it should be. And maybe even develop, develop in VR. So I could be like, what was that movie where you reach out with the gloves and the code <laughs> um, comes flying in from the left and the right? Yeah. Well, in this tool, you can actually perform real tree shaking. Oh, that's bravo. Bravo. Are we getting a, a quick glimpse at what your ng-conf talk is going to be about then? Or are you going to do like a virtual reality tree shaking on stage? <laughs> I think I did that 2017. <laughs> I'm going to be a little more practical this year. So, John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps, one of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally, and we're a consulting company. And, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, Vue, but they're all going to need a grid. And it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know, at, at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework data grid makes sense to you, please go check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com. So, I mean, getting back to the topic at hand here for it, too, we want to talk about Angular 14 and beyond. Uh, with you. And, you know, you've got a key role on the team uh, with engineering and developer relations. Angular 14 is out already. And you guys are building a roadmap for proposing what's coming forward. I want to kind of start the conversation with Angular in 2022, where we are right now. It's been around for, I don't know, 12 years or so. It's been a while, right? And in this JavaScript world, that's a long time. That, that's a, a long time. So kudos for the huge impact it's had and still has. Uh, but also, 
what, there's newer things out. There's Svelte, there's React, there's all these other tools. And they're not, you know, it's not like they've been out for a month. They've been out for years too. But what is the case and who is Angular for if somebody's going to start a project today? Like, what's the ideal persona of our audience to say, you know what, you should be looking at Angular, or maybe you shouldn't be? Yeah, so something that uh, we have been, I have been thinking about in general, and I've been sharing with different team members is, do we want to be a framework for like absolutely everyone? Do we want to have all the different features that all other frameworks have? Do we want to have uh, resumability? And do we want to have single file components? And do we want to have hooks and all that stuff? Probably we shouldn't because many people don't need all these features. And by us implementing them, all these users are paying the cost for using features they don't actually need. So we have been thinking about what are the strengths of Angular and why, why would anyone want to use it, right? So we have, been, we have been iterating a lot on this and trying to compile it in one message, like in just update finally our tagline on Angular.io. So we have been thinking Angular is a stable solution that focuses on just improving the smallest details in your development experience at this point. It's not a rough framework that works most of the time and sometimes, well, you hit this thing and you don't have source maps or you can't debug or we have been just polishing the developer experience to the maximum right now. And uh, we just want to provide a framework where everyone can deliver web applications with confidence. That's it. We are stable technology tested on thousands of projects at Google. We don't break or if we break, we provide migrations. We provide the tooling you need to build applications with confidence and deliver apps to your users. That's, that's it. So apps that don't break, that still kind of sounds like everyone. So if you were going to like dial in that even more clearly, how, how would you differentiate from... Everyone? Wait a minute, Craig, you don't want your apps to break? Like, I kind of want my apps to break on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of well, that's, that's job security, <laughs> right? No, but but yeah. you're right, Craig. It, uh, that statement kind of implies that you don't break, but others do. And um, yeah, I can talk more about it. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I mean, they're not trying to break, and 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 uh, and and I think we can. I think we should stipulate that people are building pretty good apps in React and Svelte and Vue and God knows what else. I mean, it would be really it would be really difficult to go onto this podcast and say we work, they don't. Now, you, I mean, you're perfectly comfortable saying. You know, we think we work a little bit better or we work a lot better. And I'd be interested in how you could say, you know, how you could bring that off. But, but, uh, but, well, you know, even as a big Angular fan that I am, I would be hard pressed to say, um, you know, to try and win that argument. Yeah, sure. So uh, first, I don't want to say that we work better. They don't. I respect all the frameworks. And in fact, we, sh- we do a lot of knowledge sharing between framework cultures. I like Svelte, it has its trade-offs, just like Angular does. I like React. One of the unique things about Angular is that we really have a test coverage that is like not imaginable. We really have this. Like everyone writes tests and we should to make sure that the applications don't break, right? But the test coverage is not the whole story. There are twelve uh, there are sorry, twenty five hundred applications. Some of them are twelve million lines of code at Google that are functioning and are using Angular. So in this process, people have battle-tested Angular with different applications from small to large, and it just works. 
I, I think that's a real strong that's a real strong point, right? Um, and I think it's a great plus. I'm going to tell you, and I love you as a, but as a developer, I tend to think that my framework is going to work. I don't test my framework, um, and my general experience uh, is that my frameworks, whatever they are, uh, you know, the good ones, not the ones that I just get off the street, you know, Craig's. Craig's application model module. I, I, you know, I haven't tried that one yet, but or you weren't uh, supposed to tell anybody about that right now. I wasn't. I, oh, on, you haven't man. announced that yet. Um, uh, but but you know they they work. So uh, I think I, I I'd love to hear your if I'd love to hear your number two point about why uh, why why Angular versus something else. Yeah, well, this is the, the stability is part of the picture. Also, the whole developer tooling is another part of it. So we have been working on providing a solution that is integrated together. I mean, this has been part of Angular since the beginning very much. We provide the framework. We also provide the CLI that is built by the same team with a router and forms. And so you can incrementally add more things that just work, work well together. We have been working on, I mean, this has been core part of Angular for a while. We are not planning to change it or go anywhere. You get this consistency where you don't have to pick different tools from the well, for some things, you need to pick different tools from the system, but the core of the framework and the foundations for building your applications are already there. That's this consistency uh, we are introducing in other ways too, just by making sure that all the applications look the same. So you focus on providing value to your users rather than deciding on whatever new tool you'll be using to do that. You have the CLI, you have the framework, you have material components, forms, and the router. That's pretty That's pretty true. I walk into an Angular app that I've never seen before. I pretty much know how it's structured. I pretty much know what uh, all the the fundamental pieces are going to be because everybody uses the same router, the same HP. They use the same stuff. They use the same tooling. So as a professional, I can just you can parachute me into just about any Angular app and I can find my way really quickly. We have standard, we have all that stuff. I don't know to what degree other frameworks have that kind of consistency app to app, but I think that's that's a strong that's a strong point. That's a strong point if you're an enterprise and you have to share, have a bunch of developers uh, who are coming and going and moving around and and stuff like that. So I'm I I think that's cool. I'll say there are other frameworks doing the same thing. For example. I love using Next for some of my projects, so I love having fun with other frameworks. Next provides very similar structure across applications as well, and they're doing a fantastic job too. Um, so there are these two things that I mentioned so far. We have the stability that is to a big extent coming from the commitment that we have at Google to support these enormous applications. We have the consistency and also, Angular being around for that long now, it allows us to focus on the rough edges. So I can give you an example. We have been working with Chrome DevTools to improve stack traces to just to an extent to which it will be trivial to figure out where an error is coming from. Because if we debug an application or de develop in a framework now and you get an error, you're going to get a stack trace with many frames that you have no idea what they mean because they're going into the internals of the framework. Well, we're working on a way with browsers to implement new debugging primitives, let's say, 
which would allow you to fix this in Angular and from there enable other frameworks to do the same for them to, for, for, for their own too. So this allows us to focus on, on small rough edges and incrementally evolve uh, people's developer experience, which uh, brings me to like the third, or actually it, it's, it's kind of like th this together with NGO beta, I'll say is the, is the third strength of Angular. Uh, we are trying to move, we're doing everything possible, everything we can to move developers together with the framework by providing ng updates and uh, keeping up to date on top of the latest web standards. So I can recap. The first one was stability. The second one was consistency, providing the core tools that you can increment, adopt, uh, you, you can incrementally adopt. And the fourth part was this evergreenness, keeping it up to date, having the, release, the predictable release schedule. And, and and the update path. I really love how you're the how reliable the you know when you gotta go from thirteen to fourteen or you want to go from six to some to fourteen, um, the tooling to help move you along is pretty impressive. It, it, and it will modify your code if it has to in a way that you can understand. And I I think that's impressive. Let, let me put this one to you. Angular has a reputation for being complex and hard to learn. It has a reputation for being more complex, having more moving parts and more, more, more as sort of just stuff on the page. More of everything. Than just any framework out there. Uh, and at the other extreme, I would have to say that, that Svelte has, has staked their claim. Their, their claim to fame is uh, being what I used to call wrist-friendly. You don't type so much, and but that also means you don't read so much, uh, just to get through to the meat. Now, I think this is an opportunity for you to talk about what's happening in 14, because I've been playing with it, and I think that's a big step in the, in the direction of, of making that, of addressing complexity and, and ease of use. But I... I What's your what's your take on that criticism, and what's your feeling about where Angular is going? Yeah, I think you're spot on. Absolutely, like Angular is hard for sure, or at least we're presenting it in a way that it looks hard because we throw you all these concepts and you, you, we tell you kind of deal with them, and we don't have to do it. So I mentioned that we have multiple different modules that you can increment, we, you can adopt incrementally. You can start using the framework. You'd have to use the CLI. But you also have TypeScript. That's something that we truly believe everyone should be using, building web apps for the web, like uh, for the browser. I mean, uh, having a type system is pretty important. We have forms and router. We have RxJS. And we are providing this complete picture, but often we create the perception that you need to know everything to build web applications, which is not necessarily true. So we have been working on two... Uh, large projects. One of them is just making sure that we provide you this journey where you start with minimal number of concepts and we incrementally add more things when you need them rather than having to know everything from the beginning. And we have been working on improving the developer ergonomics, just making some concepts that are not critical for the development of like web applications, at least at the beginning, part of your critical learning journey. You can learn about them later on. And the first step of this was the implementation and the design of standalone components. In Angular, we have had this concept of ng modules. That's because of the selector-based like component model we have, and also uh, the need for like 
the fact that we introduced a compiler so that folks runtime is faster. And this created the necessity for ng modules, which now we are thinking how to make optional so that when you're developing a component, you can just develop a component without thinking about like Angular modules. You can just think about the JavaScript modules. That was that's that's the perf the, the first uh, step of of the puzzle of uh, enabling better developer experience for folks. And- well, let me pause you there for a second, Miko, because I know what it standalone components are, and I think the folks in this our hosts do here. But I'd like to explore that for a sec with you because. In React, views spelt other places. Like every, I think everybody pretty much has an idea of what a component is these days. Uh, it's some kind of set of code that lets you put a visual, usually a visual representation of something on your screen. When you say standalone, I think folks who do React, View, and Svelte might think, well, well, of course it's standalone. Like it's not coupled to anything. Like what exactly makes this different in Angular? Why is this a new thing? Yeah, I'd love to talk about it specifically how. I'll try also to not make it very like computer science and theoretical to show the trade-offs of this selector-based component model and let's say the GSX one. So uh, let's say someone is developing a React component. The way that they would use their React component in another component is by importing it from a module and just adding it into GS- GSX. And this works really well. I really like it because we're using the lexical scope of JavaScript. The way this could work in Angular is every component has a CSS selector. And you can match this CSS selector against different elements on the page. So we somehow need to specify which components are available as part of this matching. For example, you can build a component, or we can think about directive, which is a component without a template, pretty much. As let's say we have a, a, a directive with IMG with image, image selector. This is this means that it's going to match all the different images on the page. This means that you can apply this logic dynamically to an already existing application, to an already existing template. This is not possible in JSX because if you want to apply an image component, you have to import image component and you put it there, and that's your image component. If you want to add further enhancement. Well, you can create a decorator or like by composition, you can enhance the existing functionality of the image component, but that's what you can do. You can't dynamically add new functionality. So an advantage of our uh, selector-based component model is that you, can, you have a lot of like dyna- opportunity for dynamically enhancing existing user interface. But the, the disadvantage is that you somehow need to specify which components and directives are available so that Angular can perform this selector-based matching. And to specify this this like set of available directives and components, we have the, comp- the concept of ng-modules. So in order to develop a component, you develop the component, you also have an associated ng-module which tells you which components and directives could be applied uh, within the template of your component. So in Angular, if you're a developer, and you've got you've got this thing called ng modules, and in React and Vue and the other frameworks, you don't, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. There is standalone components mean that with Angular 14 and beyond that 
you don't have to have modules anymore at this point? Do they become completely optional? With version 14, not yet. We are experimenting with the API. We want to make sure that we build the right functionality for developers. So in version 15, we're planning to make it stable. But yeah, as of uh, right now, you can build an Angular application without using ng modules. What's the promise that, like with the disclaimer that we can actually break you in version 15 once we make these APIs stable. So they're currently in only developer preview. Right, and there, there's a progression path and we'll, we'll talk more about how, how that can work for it. But uh, one of the reasons I, I bring this up too is, is I want to make sure everybody's oriented. I know we all happen to know Angular on this call, but I want to make sure that everybody who's listening understands the, the fundamental difference here is when at the time when Angular was developed, uh, Angular 2 specifically and beyond, NG modules were a concept that were brought out to solve some of the problems that you were just discussing. And they so they've been in Angular. And of course, you don't want to break any changes. But then later, React, Svelte, and Vue and these other tools came out and found ways to, to basically create components without having a module in place, an NG module in place, for example. Yeah. So now Angular's found ways to help you eliminate that as, as, as what I kind of hear you saying. Is that right? That's right. Uh, but also... This comes with flexibility that folks get. They can enhance already like existing templates, existing elements in a template by just specifying a different engine modules with like different components and directives there. So this flexibility does not exist in other component models, which are not selector based. So it has its trade-offs. You're getting more power, but you have some extra syntax. And with optional engine modules or standalone components, we are looking into a way to reduce the number of concepts, make engine modules optional, but still provide this flexibility where you can enhance existing elements in the template in different ways. That's super powerful. Uh, just to give one, one example, uh, the Chrome Aurora team, they're focused on making frameworks faster. They're focused on making sure that web frameworks are allowing developers to build applications that meet core web vitals. And we have been working with Aurora. They have been working with Next.js as well. And both Angular and Next are developing an image component that allows you to improve your cumulative layout shift, for example. The way that this image component can work in Angular is just automatically. It's part of your common module. If you import a common module, you get the benefits of the image component. The way it will work in Next because it's JSX-based, is you have to replace all your image elements with the image components. So there is there is there there are different trade-offs of, of both approaches. I definitely like JSX. It's uh, kind of very obvious, and it's very intuitive for JavaScript developers. It's also, in some cases, less flexible when we want to have this dynamic behavior. So are you saying with standalone components, like you can take a an existing app that didn't have Angular in it before, it has some HTML structure, and then you give it a selector, and you say, I want to add Angular into this app. Here's the selector. It goes and finds that. And now that little island is, is an Angular component. I guess I meant that if you have an existing Angular application, you don't have to rewrite your templates to change them to the new image component. They can, the image, the, your, all your images would get automatically enhanced by the image directive that we ship. So yeah, no, it will be mostly no action. Uh, Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it. 
and maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRX Redux on the front end, and .NET Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show. Miko, a year ago, a year ago, I think, a little more than a year ago now, NGConf 2021, I did a lightning talk, uh, which is about an eight-minute talk I did on, I think the topic was less angular could be more angular. And some of this was a little tongue-in-cheek, to be honest, and some of it was really things that I wish were different. So I kind of set on this path of, you know, what's bothering me about Angular? And I've been doing Angular since the beginning and saying, what bothered me was what Ward said. There's just so many things I have to do, and I wish I didn't have to type as much as I have to to get where I need to be. And a small project's not a big deal, but you're building a massive project that adds up over time, and every line of code I write is one more thing I got to maintain. So I threw up some ideas, and I'm looking at this video, and I popped in our show notes for folks. There were five things I mentioned that I thought would be really kind of cool to think about. And I'm not proposing people do all these, but I'm thinking like, if we thought differently, one was getting rid of ng modules, which has made me think of this. Another one was not just standalone components, but single file components, you know, putting all the code in one file, which is also very commonplace in Svelte and React, for example. A third was not using HTTP client, but just using the fetch API that's built into the browser. Uh, an HTTP client is the Angular library that does basically the same thing with some extra bells and whistles. Uh, another one, which Ward will get very upset at, but I'm going to say anyway, is getting rid of the whole concept of de dependency injection, like not using dependency injection in Angular. You don't have to do that if you don't want to. And the last one was uh, not using RxJS, but just using promises, for example, or async await. Now, I'm not suggesting everyone drop everything they're doing and change all their applications to do those things. But the reason I put those together is I wanted to see what would an application look like. First, is it possible to not do those? And the answer was yes. I, I could. All those things are possible. Uh, the second was, if you do that, are we left with a better experience, more maintainable app, performance is, goes up or down? I'm kind of curious what you think. If you didn't have, like, should people be using Fetch? Should people... I mean, what value are they getting out of DI? What value do they get out of RxJS? Like, what is your thoughts? Yeah, um, actually, that's like, uh, we, we have heard a lot of that feedback from you and from uh, other folks from the community. We have been exploring, so first, no ng modules, all ng modules being optional, that's happening. Single file components, uh, like theoretically looking at, and then your component, you can inline your template in your styles and you're getting single file component. But I know what you mean, not exactly this. Uh, we have been exploring different altering formats. And we have been looking for how to build components in a more ergonomic way, Svelte-like and React-like. And there is a world where people will be able to get 
the altering experience from Svelte in Angular, for sure. Something that we're really careful about is like what exactly is Angular. We we don't want to be we we don't want to like take everything from any framework and just just ask users to pay for something that they don't want. Uh, so uh, we have been exploring different altering formats in in a context in in, in the way that we're going to keep Angular be Angular. Uh, we had we have a couple of proposals, a couple of prototypes, but it is too early to talk about it. We also want to make it in a way that it is compatible with the current ecosystem. Replacing HTTP with Fetch, I I absolutely agree. Actually, I I, uh, um, I often do that myself. I sometimes don't need interceptors, and I prefer to have a promise-based API. So, and even great. if you need interceptors, you could use uh, something like Axios, for example. Yes, I was going to say Axios would be the call. Continue. Yeah, Go ahead. It's way more minimalistic. Uh, way more minimalistic. It uh, has different trade-offs here, too. About DI, so we did one improvement in version 14, actually, uh, regarding DI. L- we, we actually, it's like fair to say, we introduced a, a, an inject function. Actually, the inject function has been in the framework for a while. We just made it better. So people can inject dependencies right now in a way which it, it, it kind of looks like React hooks to an extent because it keeps track of the execution context, but also um, allows you to make your code testable and it has all the benefits that you're getting from dependency injection. Um, in software engineering, it just looks clean and looks uh, pretty uh, dynamic. So I would like DI is kind of core part of Angular. You don't have to use it all the time. Some people definitely overuse it, but it's kind of like core part of Angular that brings a lot of benefits and makes applications testable. And also it's easy to navigate between applications. You know they're using dependency injection, so you can write tests for these components. Promises instead of uh, RxJS, uh, there are different camps, as, as you know. There are people who love RxJS and there are people who like it a little bit less. I like using RxJS a little bit less sometimes uh, because Sometimes it feels like RxJS, I compare it sometimes to regular expressions where you can write something wait, really smart and beautiful. Wait a second. That's a great clip right there. That <laughs> really is. Right. What's that old line about those? You know, when you have one problem, you use... Uh, regular expressions. You use, now you've got uh, another problem. Regular expression, and then you have two problems. Uh, yeah, I kind of mean it in a different way, though. <laughs> Uh, just every both are really expressive, and you can create super smart solutions yes. that might be harder to read afterwards. So, depends how people use RxJS. Yeah, and let me be let me be clear, Minko, with everybody in the audience here, and with you too, to be very clear on this. While I'm, I contemplate these things a lot. This is also my strange brain. I I often think about why am I using the thing I'm using? Is there really a reason? Even though there was a reason for it then, is there still a reason now? And I think what I'm hearing you say is, and I'm not looking for you to advocate people should stop using RxJS, for example, or DI, but what I think I'm hearing you say is that you and the team are looking at all these things and you understand that there's competing interests and pros and cons to all the using them or not and how Angular should evolve. But it sounds like if I really step high above this, you're really looking at that whole developer experience and trying to figure out where, what's the next evolution of Angular. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is that what is that what you're trying to get at? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and literally twenty uh, fifty two minutes ago, I was we were at an offsite here in Seattle, 
and we're discussing how Angular could look like in the future. So we are pretty mindful about that because that's one of our promises. We would like to make to keep Angular stable. We just want to enable everyone to deliver applications with confidence. That's what we want to do. So we don't want to think about complicated migration paths, and we also want to make sure that we are not following uh, the next Twitter trend <laughs> because something got popular. We want to make sure that these are like very robust, sound engineering decisions that would help you be more productive. And also will make Angular more attractive. That's that's something that we definitely care about. That That's good to hear. Mako, I, I know we're running short on time, so I want to make sure I first thank you for joining us today and for sharing all this with us. Um, NGComp is actually in a couple of days from when this airs, so... Folks out there can catch Minko and other folks in the Angular team. And uh, I think Ward and myself will also be at ng-conf this year. So catch us up on YouTube. And Dan Wallin, yes, co-host who's not here today, but he's with us in spirit. Um, so some good content up there. But I also want to just say that it's really great to hear you talk about these things because for my final thoughts today, for a long time, I've been, I'll, I'll just be honest, a very strong, loud voice and advocate for using Angular, but then also for Angular not evolving in the right directions, what I thought was right. And what I thought was right was making it more usable for the developer audience. I often hear that, well, people already know how to use Angular. It doesn't have to be easy to learn. But I kind of throw sand on that because there's people learning all the time. And the harder something is, and Ward brought me onto this concept, the whole theory of concept count the more things you have to learn, the harder it is to actually learn it and use it and maintain it. And I feel like Angular needed to not ultimately change what it was doing, but just to constantly make sure, is this still the right way to make it easier for people to kind of learn it, for experts to, be able to adapt new code into it, to kind of slide in new concepts? Uh, or are we really just burdening people with concept count? And I really just want to say, I, I think it's really empowering what you're all are doing. And I saw a great tweet the other day that I think Sarah Drasner put out that I that I jumped on and I thank the team for this. And I, I thank you. I think it's great to see the team is really focusing on how do we make this so it's a better framework for everybody moving forward. So kudos to you all. I know you're not entirely there yet, but I just want to say for my final thoughts, it's just wonderful to see that as a uh, active user of the web technology. Mako, I guess I'll let you follow. What are your final thoughts for the audience today? I love uh, that you have been providing us this feedback about what you think we can do to make Angular better. And I would really appreciate to get feedback from anyone. Just find us on social media, share your feedback on GitHub, talk to us at ng-conf or other events that we produce space in the future. Um, just let us know what you think. And uh, I'm, we really would like to hear what you think. and. Keep this in mind when we're designing the future of the framework. And I'll pop into the show notes some links here to Angular on Twitter, Angular on GitHub, et cetera. So everybody out there, you can channel your feedback directly to the team. Craig, what's your feedback and final thoughts for the day? So one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording was about how, how Minko and the team are working with other frameworks and other people within the developer community in order to, to kind of give back and make things better. And so I really appreciate the fact that you've you've pointed out like you're not interested in, in following the next shiny thing or the Twitter trend or whatever. But at the same time, you're interested in finding new and different ideas and different approaches and learning from them and incorporating them back into the work that you're doing. Um, 
I think oftentimes when you're on the outside of big projects, big frameworks that are being developed in big companies like Google and Angular, uh, individual developers might feel like, well, who knows where this thing is going to go? And it's just really cool to hear you say that you're you're taking the steps that you're doing in order to make Angular as, as best as possible. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so we are we chat with other framework developers and we like each other. <laughs> um, we have, for example, Evan Yu. He joined us last week to tell us more about Deet, and it was a great discussion. He has some great ideas there, and we're looking to how to incorporate either Vite or some of these ideas into Angular CLI so that we can make developer experience for everyone better. Yeah, we just follow what is going on. We create things, we share them publicly as well, and we are trying to make informed decisions which are not necessarily based on impressions and likes on Twitter, but like based on solid engineering decisions as, as, as much as we can because we also have biases. And Ward, what's your final thoughts for the audience for today? Well, um, I, I don't think it's a secret. I make my living writing Angular applications for clients. And so I am, um, and I, you know, I'm also, not only do I use the product, I'm a fan. So it's like hair club for men, right? <laughs> uh, if you remember those commercials. Uh, but uh, um so that's, you know, but you, you can also be hard on the things that you use and you love. And and, and um, developer experience is one of those things that uh, has been difficult to talk about get or get motion on. What I do sense is particularly since, you know, we made the move from the view engine, for, you know, uh, on, we're finally onto the engine that we're going to use, uh, which whose name escapes me quickly. What is it, Minko? Ivy. Ivy, thank you. Right. Uh, but since then, uh, you know, I feel a refreshed sense on the Angular team that it really is uh, able to turn now to developer experience. And I've been playing with uh, V14 and the, the, in particular, the standalone components uh, in a project that I'm working on. And my sense is that that is a significant step forward um, I wasn't sure that it was going to be, um, uh, you know, and there are, I, I stumble every once in a while, like wondering what it is that I have to reference that it, the form is using, you know, the page is using and stuff like that, but we'll get better at that. But I think it's, it, it's, um, nice to not have those modules. And I think that's a really forward step. I'm hoping one day the standalone flag becomes the default and one of your NG upgrades will sweep through and get rid of that. Uh, cause it's just one less piece of typing garbage you have to do. Um, but I am, you know, I am at I, I've got to say, I'm really happy that the team has taken on this new attitude. It's, it's flowing through the documentation. It's flowing through, um, the community of it. And it's a really encouraging trend. And I'm hopeful that, uh, anger will be a lot easier for people to, to learn who don't know it and to use for those people who really do know it. Like I think I do. <laughs> So that's my thought. Happy to hear that. Yeah, standalone components are part, like a step towards moving everyone to more enjoyable altering formats by not breaking them in the meantime. I think the encouraging part here is it's it's it sounds like, and I'm not asking you to commit to anything, but it sounds like it's not going to be the only step too, which to me is the encouraging no yeah direction of this. 
yeah, I'm expecting more progress there in 2023. We're looking into hydration, for example, the second half of the year. So we want to commit to bigger projects uh, one by one. Mako, this has been great talking with you, and I'd love to get you back on maybe in a couple of months. We can talk about uh, you know what things have progressed and where things are heading and your roadmaps, if you're open to that. And I want to thank all of our sponsors for keeping us on the air every week, Idea Blade, Ionic Narwhal, and AG Grid. And thank you to all of our guests for keeping us up here. Episode 198, Angular V14 and beyond. And it wouldn't be here without all of our sponsors and all of you listeners. You can hear from us every Thursday morning. See you next week.